And if you're kind of visiting or you're watching or you're checking in or you're, you're here for the first time, we're really, really grateful that you're here. Um, and I'm gonna do the quickest recap I've ever done. If you feel like you wanna engage more with this series, everything we have is online. You can go watch it. You can go listen to the podcast and kind of catch up with the, the three weeks prior. Um, you know, as I, as I go through this, I, I just, I, I think to myself about the kind of life I grew up. You know, I grew up and my parents were divorced. And at the time that I grew up, having divorced parents was pretty normal. And I remember meeting my wife and, and her parents uh, were married at the time and still are married. And that was like pretty refreshing. You know, that was like pretty unique. And then as you, as I grew up, I kind of realized that at school, you know, I was in high school in the 90s that, uh, you know, having divorced parents and being in a divorced home was kind of normal. It was like, and then actually getting married and staying married and friends of mine that had parents together was like really like kind of cool and like refreshing. It's like, wow, like that's, that's amazing that there's like people who their parents are at home. And, and I came from the total opposite of that. So it was very, very attractive to me. And, you know, it makes you ask the question because really what's happened with marriage in this country just over the past 50, 60 years is you had, you know, you had the 1950s, people come home from war and they, you know, they set up the, the life they wanna live and they wanna get married and they want that normal kind of traditional thing. And then the 60s came in with the sexual revolution and kind of from that time, marriage kind of took a, a turn down, a lot less people got married and it became less and less attractive to people to get married. And, and so the question, why are people still getting married? is just like, it's like, uh, it's interesting, right? Like a lot of people look at marriage and they go, this is traditional, this is antiquated. What's the purpose of marriage? Like why would, why would people still jump into that? It's so hard to do, you put yourself at risk. You know, you, you know you, 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 you're with the one person your whole life. Whatever it is, there's all these other reasons that have been added to make it look like not getting married is more, you know, more attractive, more exciting. And marriage then is also so difficult, right? We know this. Um, I recently heard this comedian talking about uh, how Albert Einstein got divorced. And he's like, I really feel like they should tell you that before you get married. <laughs> you know, like, it's probably important to know that one of the smartest humans to ever grace the planet couldn't figure out marriage. It's like if you're in the room and you think that like a level of intellectual stimulus is the key, it's wrong. It's so difficult that the reason that people do get married, even though it's difficult, and even though um, it's less attractive to so many and to, to so many people that are particularly aren't in the church, is that you and I were designed by the divine for connection. We're, de we're, we're designed for that. It's kind of something that is in us, God is communal, and we, we crave connection and community, and we crave partnership. And that kind of leads us into the, the, the three weeks we've already done. The first week of the series, what I did is I just wanted people to understand that marriage is something that's bigger than you, and that you're a part of something that's bigger than you, because marriage is a picture of God's will for the world, and all of creation represents this idea of marriage and partnership and the two pieces becoming one, the most important being heaven and earth, God's space and human space being married together, sin causing that separation, which was never God's desire, but it happened. But you see all throughout the created order, land and sea and vegetation and animals, that things kind of work in this symbiotic sense and, and they work in this kind of relationship where they work together. And of course, than male and female do. So it's not just something that you fall into, it's something that you were created into, this desire that God had for partnership and community and connection. It's God's will. And also, it's, uh, marriage is a picture of God's love for the world. It's a picture of God's love for the world. And so when you get married, and when that, that bride walks down the aisle, and, and you know the most uh, kind of sanctimonious thing that we do in our culture in America today is, is the Christian wedding. You know, there's more, there's more time, energy, resources, and kind of culture, if you will, in a, in a wedding ceremony than anything else we do. You know, we all get dressed up, we spend the money, there's tradition, there's food, there's dancing, there's, there's celebration. It's a very big deal. And that whole piece of the, the bride and the groom coming together is, is kind of 
it's amazing, it's mind-blowing when we look at it, it's a picture of God's love. It's a picture of Jesus. It's a picture of Jesus loving his church so much that he'd give his life for his church. And then now these two people kind of walk around in a marriage is supposed to be a picture of God's heart for all of the people on earth. It's like, man, I'd do anything for you. And when two people are married and married well, it's a reflection of who God is, right? It's like, wow, like, look at that. Look at the way they interact. Look at the way they kind of waltz and dance and do life together. And they embody something that's really, really special when we're married and we're married the way uh, Christ wants us to be and we have Christian marriage. And then in week two, what we did is we said that you don't have to get married, and I'll talk to lots of people who are married or getting married, and, and then you know they're like, oh, I wanna get married, and they say the kind of wedding vow language. You know, I, I promise God and you to love you from this day forward. I promise I'll spend my life pursuing your needs and your desires regardless of our circumstances. Today, I stand before God, you, and these people to make a covenant with God to love you all the days of my life. These are the vows that I have my, my married couples read, and they, everybody agrees to that. Everyone agrees to this, the concept of marriage. But then honestly, some of the most regular conversations I have with people in, in my office is, I love them, but I don't wanna go to Giant Eagle, I'm a Kroger guy. I mean, that, that, that is that petty, where like people will not do the thing, it's like they won't be the husband they said they would be. I, I said I would give up my life for you, oh, but not that. Like, I'm a GIF guy, we're not bringing Peter Pan in this house. I mean, you laugh, but it is actually sometimes that, that uh, petty. Where somebody, is, and then I'll talk to wives, you know, and, and you know, you didn't have to get married. You didn't have to do this. When you got married, what did you actually say you were going to do? Well, you know, I think about my vows and all that stuff, for better or for worse. I'm, you know, I'll pursue you, whatever it is. And they just, there's, there's a disconnect between the concept and those big words that you say and the daily reality of living for someone else. You know, you're tired, you're grumpy, you're, you know, your trauma comes out, whatever it is, you, you just suddenly, you just, you're not gonna do that. And so in week two, we said daily intentional self-giving actions. When you, when you signed up to get married, you signed up for daily intentional self-giving actions. And this is a proactive, it's a pursuit, it's not passive, it's a pursuit of the person that you're married to where you are interested in their well-being at all times, you're asking them daily, how can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I leverage me for you? What do you need from me today? And other things like that. And then last week we looked again back at the heart of marriage and talked about how a lot of people view marriage as a 50-50 business partnership. And we joked about how, you know, I actually heard another comedian say, you know, these, these Hollywood weddings, you know, we need to have these vows changed to the reality of what they're actually saying. And we can pick on Hollywood, but it really is like, it's ubiquitous, like we all do this. Everybody kind of stands up and says, I'll love you till death do us part, no matter what, all this really intense, committed language, and then when, you know, when it gets bad, it doesn't happen. So. I think it was like Wanda Sykes or somebody's like, we need to just stand up and say like, I'm here, today it's good. You know, you look nice, I like you, I'm happy, but as soon as I'm not, I don't wanna do this anymore. And then, and then the guy's like, yeah, me too, I'm good for now, good for now, because that's the reality, is that when it gets really hard, then people, then people are like, you know, I'm not happy anymore. I'm not happy anymore. And I've talked about how happiness is not a goal, not a good one. It's a miniature goal. Go on vacation for some happiness. Take a night off for some happiness. The goal of life is not happiness. The goal of life is meaningful pursuit of what God says is important. Purpose, Res responsibility, man. That's what the goal of life is. That's what you should be aiming at. And you find that in the Christian life laying down your life for the people that you love, building something every single day that at the end of the day, you go, we built something, I did something, it matters, it's making a difference. I'm part of the created order of God. 
I image him into the world. I take the world and move it forward the way that God took chaos and turned it into order. Today, I'm gonna take chaos and I'm gonna move it forward. When we find that type of purpose, we can apply it into our lives, our work, our marriages and everything. So the purpose of life is not just to feel happiness. It's to build something every day that God says you should be a part of building. And so marriage is not a partnership. It's not 50-50. It's 100-100. And that may sound cliche, but it's not. That's the truth, is that you're saying you show up to a covenant relationship. Marriage is a covenant, not a partnership. Marriage is where you say, no matter what, I'm in all the time. And you can sit there and go, yeah, but I, but what about they, them, that? But the reality is, is that when we're talking about marriage, we're talking about God's heart for us and how he's committed to us no matter what we do. And so in order for us to be committed to someone, no matter what they do, we need transformation in our hearts to be, to be like God. We need a heart change. We need a heart transplant, literally, in the sense of we need to go from a heart of stone to a heart of soft forgiveness, and then forgiveness is the test. It's not that God will test you with forgiveness to see if you're like him. Maybe he will, but the point is not forgiveness uh, being that you know, you're in trouble, let's see if you've gotten so far. It's let's, let's evaluate. Let's kind of evaluate your heart. Is it like God's? Rick Warren said, a great marriage is the combination of two professional forgivers. The implication of being a professional forgiver is someone who has lots of reps forgiving. Right, you're not a professional forgiver. How, well, how many times have you forgiven? Well, you're married. How many times have you forgiven? Well, you know, I like forgave my sister growing up. Like, she was rude and annoying and bratty. You know, I like, it's, like, it's like a professional forgiver is like the resume is, this is how much I've forgiven. Why do you do that? Well, because I just, I have this different model in my life of what, what it's all about. My life is about a heart that's soft and says, I'm in no matter what. My heart moves into a relationship with its eyes wide open. I know they're gonna mess up. Like, I'm, I'm committing to them. You know why you say marriage commitments? Because it's hard to, to stay in a marriage. Otherwise, you don't need to have a commitment. You make a commitment because the implication is, this will be hard. If you don't stand up in front of all your friends, all your family, the people you love the most, the people you, you know, went to Vegas with, the people that you just have spent all your life, the people you love, the people that call you every day, the people that call you every week, if you don't stand up and promise in front of them, you won't do it. They're there, family, friends, best man, maid of honor, all of them, mom, dad, they're all there because they're going, we got you. This is hard. We, we want you to do this well, man. We're in for you. So they can come back to you, right, when it's hard and go, I was there. I was there. I was there when you made that commitment. I was there when you made that commitment. And so what I wanna talk to you about today is just, I've, I've, I've really wrestled with what to do today because, like I said, so much crisis has come to my email that I just thought, what am I gonna talk about that can really help everybody? I wanted to do a little bit of boots on the ground stuff today, like, you know, how to, how to fight or, you know, how to grow and all that stuff. I'm gonna do a little bit of that, but I'm gonna stay a little bit more conceptual so we can continue to learn what marriage really is as we get our boots on the ground, because what I find myself continuing to be in the process of with people in our church and in, in relationship is orientation around what marriage is. What is this thing? And I've heard it said before, and actually, uh, I remember during COVID when all that was happening and all the fights about masks and all the fights about politics and everything was going on at once, and, you know, as you can imagine, in church, that was, teeth were coming out, claws were coming out, all different ideas. And I remember I was on the phone, I was walking my dog, I was on the phone with John McCambridge, he's our teaching pastor, and he said to me, he said, crisis won't create your values, it will reveal them. Crisis won't create your values, it will reveal them. And so, what, what you have in your life is you have 
you have a reality that you're living every single day that's up to you, kind of what, what you wanna be, who you wanna be. And then what happens is, is the crucible, right? Like something is gonna press you. One of my favorite little like, kind of, my kids use the word satisfying. They, they watch those videos, it's so satisfying. My kid will show me a video of some cool thing that like is interesting to watch. I don't even know what it is. It's like rubber being split into two. And they're like, isn't that so satisfying? I'm like, if you say satisfying again, I'm gonna smack you. Like, and I, I've never smacked them, but I'm just saying that to make you laugh. Like, I, like I'm like, don't worry, they say satisfying. Like, they just say, they just say that, that word all the time. And um, like, what happens is that, that crisis comes along and uh, I lost my train of thought there. Hold on. Crisis won't create your values. It will reveal them. Why did I talk about satisfying? I don't know. Stir the pot. Um, uh, my kids will show me these videos. <laughs> I, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Crisis will create your values. Why did I say that about them watching those videos? This is a problem with my note system up here these lines of randomness. Um, uh, regardless, that's true. The crucible will come. Oh. <laughs> there it is. One of my favorite little videos to watch is that big compression thing that's, that just crushes stuff, you know, and you like watch it. And, and then the thing that has the teeth that rolls and that puts like an old bike in it or a motorcycle or an engine and it's still is hard enough to like rip it into shreds, right? And so you get to see like What's the constitution of whatever that thing is? How much pressure can it take before it blows up like a baseball? Or sometimes they'll put like some kind of metal thing and you're like, there's no way and it just still just all that pressure. And that's what happens to us, right? And it's like, and we, then, then we get to see what we're made of. We get to see what we really value. And, and what I would say as it relates to marriage is that it's, this is all about you and your values. You have to determine what you think about how you're gonna live, what you believe. And your value system should be designed, if you will, to withstand pressure and problems. It, it, the point of having a value system is when the weight comes, will it carry it? And so, this is the conversation I'm having with people all the, what, you know, it's, it's like back up, back up, back up. What do you think? What do you wanna do? Who do you wanna be? What's important to you? What is a value system? A value system or values is a person's principles or standards of behavior, one's judgment of what is important in life. As you go into a marriage, you have to define your, your value system. And it is impossible to have a Christian marriage without the Christian value system. And so what I'm gonna do today is, again, close the gap between us saying we think and believe something and the reality of what we do every day, our behaviors that represent our values. And this is why it's so important when you're getting married to know someone's value system. Does their value system match your value system? And I'll tell you this, this is what's so critically important. The disparity between saying, my value system is Christ, listen carefully to this, but not actually behaving that way is a sign of one of three things, a lack of mental health, a lack of self-awareness and a lack of maturity. Did you hear what I'm saying? If you're in here and you say, Jesus is my value system. I wanna be like Jesus. I wanna live like Jesus. I want my life to be like Jesus. But there's a disparity between what you actually do and you just stand up here and you say you believe something, but it's not what you do. It's a, it's a tell. It's a tell. You either have a mental health crisis that you're going through 
where there's some type of maybe cognitive dissonance between the reality and what's going on. It's a, it's a lack of self-awareness where you just don't know you enough yet. And you walk around, you paint the, che- the Superman chest, and you say, I'm this, I'm that, I believe those things. You know, this is, happens a lot of time in seminary and guys that go to school and all of a sudden they know all this stuff. Oh yeah, this and that. And they can't put together a relationship. They can't have calmness. They can't be peace-filled. They can't get the girl because they just, they, there's a disparity. Their value system isn't what they say it is. And then when the pressure comes, you say, I believe like Jesus. But then when the pressure comes, look at Twitter, man. The claws come out. Look at the way people act. And I'll tell you, like, this is true for me. In, in my marriage, in the challenges with Katie and I, the time when there was this stuff, what comes out is not all my degrees and my ability to recite Ephesians chapter five. What comes out is what I really value, what is driving me, what it's really all about to me. And the same is true for you. What do you really think? What are you really doing? And to build a value system, you gotta have that ideal, but you gotta make that ideal a daily thing. It's gotta be real. So in order, two things for for two different groups of people. Before you get married, define your value system. Before you get married, define your value system. I mean, don't just say it. I mean, don't just talk about it. I mean, write it down. And then get to work. What does it mean? Oh, I believe in Jesus. I want to. I want to follow Jesus. I want to do all this stuff. I want to be like Christ. And be like, what does that mean? What does it mean daily? What's your value? What's important to you? I mean, how you spend your money, how you spend your time, what you want to do with your life, how you want to spend Friday nights. What do you value? You know, you should be able to show up if you're you're not married yet. And you want to do marriage right, man. This is, this is why this would be so helpful is because you should be getting here as a Christian anyway. Like, I'm following Jesus, so your, your value system is being shaped by Christ, and then that becomes real for you, and it's not just something you say. And I can't, I can't tell you how many times I talk to people, and, and you know, the, girl, the guy is there, and I'm not picking on the guy, but the girl loves the guy. And the guy loves the girl. And she drags him into premarital counseling with me. And it's almost like she's, it's almost like he's just winking at me. Like, you know, I'll do whatever I gotta do, buddy. I'm here. And she's like, I, he has a faith. He has one. I'm like, really? What is it? He has faith in my ability to tell him what to do. (laughs) Whatever, I mean, she has a faith and she's projected, she wants him to have a faith. And imagine, it literally is, it's a bowl of soup. You get all excited about one bowl, but you throw everything away. You're gonna marry that person who, you know, you might have a good honeymoon. What a waste of life. You need to talk about what you really value. Like really, like okay, you're cute and all that stuff, but stop it. We're not talking about that right now. Well, how do you wanna spend your money? Like tell me. How do you want, what do you wanna, what's our overall goal in life? How many kids do you wanna have? Where do you wanna work? Do you want me to work? I wanna work. Do you wanna work? You think I'm supposed to stay home all day? What, you gotta talk about it all. And then even more than that is not just into the nitty gritty. What, what's, the, what's the example? Like, what are we aiming for? Where are you getting your value system? Oh, man, I never thought about that. Well, my dad and my mom, well, what's their relationship like? Uh, kind of rocky, not good enough. And so if you're in a Christian marriage, your value system has to be defined by Christ. And we're gonna talk about that. And then to improve your marriage, redefine and refine 
your value system. When you're talking about your value system, this is not just what do they need from me. Okay, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm talking about a marriage, you're not just showing up going, my value system is to do whatever they need me to do. That's setting you up for a mess. Bless you. That's setting you up. It's bigger than that. It's who do I need to be? Who do I want to be? You're responsible for you. Your value system is not this codependent kind of, eh, whatever they need, I'll do. I'm gonna be a subservient whatever, guy or girl, it's this is who I am going to be, and I'm gonna live according to my personal value system, and then I'm going to offer my value system freely to the person I choose to be with. It's my choice. And this gets into the Christian value system and the model of Christ. So we'll look at Ephesians chapter five again because we looked at it a couple weeks ago and in Ephesians chapter 5, 21, that's the verses, right? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husband. Husbands, love and give your life for your, give your, life for your wife. That, that's what that is. But the whole chapter is talking to an entire Christian community about how all of the people in the community are supposed to have a Christian value system that everybody in there is supposed to be the ones that are having Christ as the model for the way they live their life and how they choose to be. So it says this in Ephesians chapter five, verse one and two. It says, follow God's example. This is our value system. This is Paul saying, here's your aim. This is your target. This is the leader of your community. Here's the head of your community. He is the pace setter. He is the trend setter, not just for ideas, but for how to live. That's why he says, follow God's example. You follow God's example. Does that mean that wives are supposed to follow God's example? Yeah. Does that mean that husbands are supposed to follow God's example? Uh-huh. Does that mean unmarried people are supposed to follow God's example? Yes. Does that mean children are supposed to learn to follow God's example? Yes. Therefore, everybody Follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk, that's a word used for daily, walk, live, have your behaviors, walk in the way of, say it, love, just as, here's our trendsetter, here's our pace setter, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice, first thing is this. No matter whether you're married or not, which I've said, you can follow God's example. This is for the whole community. You can ask yourself this question. Does my life tell the story of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection? You start to pull that into the day-to-day. Does my life tell the story? What, you're, what I'm asking is, are you following God's example? Are you leveraging who you are for the betterment of the community that you're in to bring about the life and goodness and the glory of God wherever you are? Is that a thing you're seeking? Because that's your value system as a Christian. Listen, you know, good works, fruit, are not the proof of salvation. They're the point The point of salvation, the point of your faith is so that you can understand you've been created in the image of God for what? To do good works, to bring about the beauty of God into the world. So you can ask yourself, am I daily laying down my life, doing something, leveraging my talents, spending who I am for the betterment of the people around me? And we're gonna look at the three words in this passage that really kind of pop out. The first one is love. And here's the problem with the word love. Love, in the English language, is a feeling word. When we read the word love, we think of the way our heart pumps a little faster when we see them. We think of romance. In the Bible, love, not a feeling word. 
Not a feeling word, especially not the way it's used here. It's an action word. Love is an action word. It's a behavioral word. So what are we, what are we looking at in that passage again? Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, walk in the way of love. Not walk the way you feel. Walk based on your value systems. Have your behavior represent what you believe Jesus does. So love in the Bible, it means that you're committed to another person's well-being. That's what love means. It means you're committed to another person's well-being. Our trendsetter, our pace setter, the leader of our church, Jesus Christ, exemplified love in that the behaviors he exhibited, exhibited and he was committed to were a commitment to our well-being. And so, what is our value system? Our value system is I am here to commit myself to my community's well-being. This is the way not just marriages are supposed to be. This is the way our whole church is supposed to be. This is how we're all supposed to be. We're, we're supposed to do that for each other and then we're supposed to come in here and we're supposed to do that for the kids and we're supposed to do that for your friend. If you're having trouble with friendship, I bet this is why I've never got rid of a friend that I felt was genuinely committed to my well-being and I've never had a friend not wanna be around me when I was genuinely committed to their well-being. Like if you're good at relationship, then in the culture we live in, what you do should surprise people. It should surprise people. You have a friend that you love and you're committed to their well-being and they got something on the radar, it's coming up in a month and you wrote it down and then you send them a text and you go over and you say, I know I was thinking about you and I just wanted to get you this today because I know this is a lot for you and I just want you to know I'm committed to your well-being. Like I, maybe don't say this because then they'll probably shut the door on your face, but like what's going on behind the curtain, right? It's like, no, 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 like I care about you. Like, I'm thinking about how hard this is or what you're going through. This is the Christian life. You're committed to the well-being. So then he gets in, he's like, now let's apply this to marriage. Let's apply this to marriage. Submit to one another. That's the word, and that's the buzzword that everybody has a problem with. Submit, let's look at it from a biblical perspective. Submission in the English language has a negative connotation, doesn't it? Submit, you're submissive. You need to submit. I mean, literally, like, I, when I first think of the word submit, I think of a dog. Seriously. You know, you, like, put them on the ground, submit. You make them submit. That's the way we view it. So it has this kind of forceful, it also has this idea that if you're the one that's being called to submit, passivity, weakness, allowing yourself to be overpowered, Loss of dignity or freedom, that's not what submit means. Submit in Ephesians and in this time and in the Bible, it means to place yourself under. Are you with me? It means to place yourself under. You choose to place yourself underneath someone. You commit to lowering yourself to bring about the well-being of the people that you're around. It's your choice. Paul says, hey, we're in a Christian community. Let's follow God's example. Let's do that because that's what we believe. And in Rome, like we've talked about, it was we go around and we force people to submit. We crucify people. We push them down. We oppress them. We use swords. We use chariots, we use horses, we use power. And then Jesus comes along. And in this culture, like, you gotta understand, when he's telling husbands to submit to their wives and wives to submit to their husband, that is not something that happened in their power structure. Caesar had all the power and anybody under him he could kill or keep alive. He could kill or keep alive. And then the leaders of all the households in the Roman community, which is about 6% of the population, they could kill or keep alive anybody in their household. 
During the time that he writes this letter, the average age of a man getting married is 30 years old. The wife was 15, average. Viewed as a second-class citizen because the way that they were married is a man from one household would go to another household and make a deal and actually buy the woman. And Paul says to that man, that Caesar, that ruler, he says, no longer, no longer are you supposed to view yourself as superior and the one that just has all the rules and you make her submit. You go to your wife and place yourself under. You submit to her. You choose to do it. You see, submission in the biblical sense is something that we, it's an action that we do because that's real love. How many people would fall in love with Jesus if Jesus comes to this earth and he's like, oh, all these people, they're so wicked and sinful. And then, he's, and, then, and then like God shows up in a cloud next to him and he's like, but you need to go to the cross. You need to love them. You need to surrender to their needs and he's like, but I don't, I don't want to do that at all. I don't have any interest in that. They're nasty. They're gross. Like, don't make me. He's like, I'm going to make you. I'm going to make you. I'm making you. And then, like, somehow the cloud grabs Jesus' hand and takes him to Pilate. And he's just like, oh, he's like, I don't want to be here. I, do you believe you're God? Well, I am God. Well, then you should be crucified. Yeah, but I don't want to be. I'm not interested. And then he gets crucified. And the whole time we know, like, look at this guy. Like, he didn't even want to do this. The attitude of Christ is one of divine creative power. He is the ruler and creator of the cosmos. We know more about the cosmos now than ever. Billions of galaxies. Watch Interstellar. Blow your mind. Jesus Christ created all of that. The Bible says that the earth is his footstool. Do you have an ottoman at your house? Is that the center of your house? It's just something in front of the chair that gets dirty. The earth is God's footstool. And look at the attitude of Jesus. This is submission. Philippians 2, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He submitted. By taking on the very nature of a servant, he placed himself below. He did it because it's him it's his choice. It's his love. It's what he believes. It's his value system. And who he really is comes out under pressure. More pressure than anyone ever felt. And what comes out? His value system. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. That's submission. He humbled himself by becoming obedient. He placed himself on a cross, even death on a cross. I know this may sound redundant, but I have more concerned with what they are doing than what you are doing. You've missed a critical component of the Christian value system. You should be consumed with what you believe and how you're choosing to live because you want to show up and do an act of love, which is a commitment to someone's well-being, and you are choosing. No one's making you. You're choosing to submit. You're choosing to submit. And that is why we look at the, the story of Jesus and, and we see Paul redefines it or says it again. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. We're not waiting. He didn't wait for us to get it right. 
So you have to understand, Jesus doesn't say, if you don't do this, you're in trouble. If you don't this or whatever. He says, I know you need this and I'm gonna give this. So manipulation, control, fear-mongering has zero place in Christian leadership. Christian leadership is servant leadership. Wives are supposed to willfully choose to submit themselves to their husbands because of our head of our church, Jesus Christ, who submitted himself to us. That's your value system, you say. So you're supposed to do it. Husbands are not to be Caesars of their household. They're supposed to be foot washers. They're supposed to submit themselves to the needs of their family, willfully committed to its well-being. And then in Ephesians chapter five, it talks about leadership. And he asks the question, well, what is the husband's role? And you know, the idea of leadership says you're the head of the household. You're the head. All it means is go first. Go first. It's almost kind of like God created you that way. Absolutely. The, the creation story has man created first and then the woman, you know, she comes there. And so it's kind of like, who's going to start? Well, I want to tell her what to do. I want to lead and tell her to submit. Stop it. You want to be like me? Submit. You do it. You go first. Lead your wives by submitting to them first. Book of John, 1 John says that the reason that we love, the reason that we love God is because he first loved us. Love, submit, and leadership. Two things to do as you're redefining and you're defining your, your value system and it's what you're bringing. First thing is personal health. You have to commit yourself to personal growth. Every husband in here has to commit themselves to personal growth. I don't care if you have a blissful marriage. You need to, in a very real way, communicate to your wife, I'm trying to get better. And here's how. Here's the three books I'm reading, and I'm going back to my therapist. Why? Because the other day I cried during a movie, and I don't know why. I want to figure that out. I want to grow. I don't care. If you say you're committed to the Christian value system, then you better be committed to your personal growth because it's your job to bring you to the marriage. So you need to be committed to personal growth. Wives, you gotta commit to personal growth. If there's some weird thing with mom, if there's some weird thing that you just, you're, you're trapped, if it's, if it's constant, if you're feeling anxiety in your body, which is your body telling you something's not right, you gotta commit to, I'm gonna get some health, I gotta figure this out. What's going on with me? What's going on? I want to grow. Not because they need me and I'm just supposed to submit myself to everything they need because you have a personal value system that says you're committed to the well-being of them and so you're placing yourself under them to lift them up and you need to bring your best self to that. So in so many words, you're committed to personal growth. The humble, Christian, value-driven husband and wife assumes I need to grow and is never shocked when your partner agrees. You wanna know if you need to grow? Go to your partner and say, do you think that I could be a better husband? <laughs> They're all gonna say, yeah. And then you go, tell me how. Oh yeah, this is it. You say, tell me how. I wanna be better. Tell me how. Well, you just get really angry about it. What do you, okay, I gotta work on that. What's that? I gotta get work on that. This is the attitude of Christ. Christ, being very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God, but he emptied himself to, to, make, to make our lives better, to give us life. You don't think you have need for growth? We're broken images. Tons of potential, but lots of need for repair. If you don't assume you need growth, Mercy. Sit with couples and the husbands. I don't need. I don't need therapy. I don't need nothing. 
I don't, I'm good. She's a mess, a mess. You're gonna tell me you're not committed to go get this worked out? And that adds to the last thing. A commitment to get things right and better healthy conflict. You see, one of the things I think is important, which I was gonna get into in a more of a boots on the ground Sunday, but when you're committed to healthy marriage and you're committed to the value system, then you, you have the calmness of Christ, but you understand the crisis and you understand the conflict. And when there's a problem, you talk about it. Calmly, you calmly and consistently walk towards the conflict and you use precise language. You have conversations where you're saying, here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what's hard for me. Here's how this works. And you're calm. Can I say that calm? Everybody say calm. You're calm. Can I please? The Bible says that anger does not produce the righteousness of God. What that means is that when you get super angry, good things don't happen. All right, now that doesn't mean anger's wrong. It means that if you let your anger explode in the relationship and you make it an unsafe conversation, you're not having progress, you're having regression. So you might need a time to let it all out and you might need to go hit a punching bag and you need to go to therapy and you need to go run and you need to count to 10 and you need to take a walk and you need to do all that stuff. But at some point, you have to calmly walk and say, I'd like to work through this. And the Gottman research says that the number one indicator to healthy conversation as it's related to conflict is a soft start. Soft, gentle compassionate, humble. What I wanna see is I wanna see some people come in my office. I wanna see some people in this church who come in and they're like, I, I, I just, I want it to get better. I wanna grow. I want it to be healthy. I want some people who have their eyes wide open and they, they go, man, like, you know, we got the money and we got the job and we got the kids and everyone's healthy, but I know that if crisis came, this wouldn't work. And I wanna get to that stuff that's in there that's, that's cracked the foundation. And I wanna work and I wanna get healthy and I wanna submit to my partner's well-being, so I wanna, I wanna really hone in on my value system and I want my life to reflect my beliefs. So let's take a moment and let's pray and, uh, and we'll end this series. And I have to say, it's definitely just a comma. You know, there's just so much more to come on, on this and we'll, we'll just keep working through it. And, and I just want you to know, like, if you need help and you wanna talk to me, send me an email, joel at 514church.com. I will meet with you. I want to. I will pray with you. I will take you through some premarital counseling, counseling stuff. I will help you find some help if you need it. I will get you connected to some people here who can really love you and care for you and have similar things. I will do everything I can to help you. That is what I exist to do here. This up here, you see what I'm doing up here? Preaching, this is like peripheral. This is what I do to try to move us all in the same direction, to unify our hearts around Jesus daily, one time a week. I'm here to help you any way I can. And the team that works here, we're here to help you. Our small groups exist to give you a life-giving group. Prayer Sundays and people here that can pray for you, we're here to help you see the power and the necessity of prayer. We're here to help you move your life into the example of Christ. That's why we're here. And if today is just a spark, if today is just the beginning, reach out, man. That's what we want. I want you to. Let's pray for a moment. God, thank you so much. I thank you so much, God, that there's such pristine clarity around your example, who you are, 
what you believe, what you've done, your value system, the way you live, so that we have a model, we have a pace setter, trend setter. We have the picture in you of who we need to be in our marriages and who we need to be as humans. And God, in the name of Jesus right now, I lift up the marriages in this church. I just ask for your blessing. I ask for your protection. I ask for your healing in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray for the Holy Spirit's power to do a softening in people's hearts and minds. I, I, I pray, God, for the Holy Spirit to, to give people wisdom and insight into whatever it is they need to do to move, to shake, to grow. I pray that some people would just have that epiphany like where they just go, no, I don't wanna do this anymore. I wanna do it the right way. I wanna grow. I wanna bring my best self. I pray in the name of Jesus that as these types of messages and this type of series stirs up all kinds of difficult conversations between married people and, and, and friends and whatever it is, God, I, I pray for calmness. I pray for, for, uh, for compassion. I pray for patience and gentleness. I pray for the people in our community here who um, are not married. Maybe they've gone through divorce. I pray, God, you would, you would move in their hearts in a way that they feel your love and presence. They wouldn't feel shamed by you, but hear your voice calling them, that you love them, that nothing about what they've been through surprises you, and that you care for them and you weep with them and you have a future and a great hope for them and healing for them. I pray for people in this community that are not married yet and choose or want to get married one day. I pray in the name of Jesus that, that who they are and, and who they're becoming would be something that they take uh, more seriously now. That they would not just uh, say things and act like things, but actually move towards daily practices that follow your example. God, we love you very, very much. We thank you for marriage. We thank you for your marriage to us, for your never-ending commitment to us, for your grace, for your pursuit. In Jesus' name, amen. Three quick things, announcements. Look ahead. The series of stuff that's coming up, just finished marriage. We have a baptism service. Then we're gonna talk about the resurrection leading up to Easter weekend. And then we're gonna talk about it more and celebrate the resurrection. Um, and then we're gonna do a parenting class, uh, class series, and then a counseling series coming up uh, for the rest of the year. So kind of get that on your radar. And also, if you are wanting to get baptized here, we have a baptism class that's today at 1 p.m., uh, you can find uh, information about it with this QR code. Probably find it on the app or the website if you want to connect with that. And then this Wednesday night, we're going to gather together for an hour and a half or so of praise and worship time. I hope that you will uh, come out and join us for that. And we'll, we'll be looking for you then. We love you guys. Thank you so much.